morning we finish up our series on Mary in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 to 28. Just so you know, we'll be doing a few topical sermons. It was suggested to me by uh, some people that it may be good to review some of the sermons that I preached when I first started about what is the church. So there'll be a new one, but we're going to look at maybe one or two of those sermons um, as a topical series, and then we will begin the book of Esther as a series. So if you wanted to read ahead, you could do that. But this morning we're in Luke chapter 11. I'll be looking at verse 27 and 28. The sermon will walk through the whole chapter, but we're going to be focusing on those two verses. So hear now the word of the Lord. And he said these things... A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Father, we are here to hear the word of God. Help us to keep it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Christmas is indeed over and it's Now, as we come to this passage, it's some 30 years later, long way from when the helpless child was lying in the manger that we looked at, a long time after him being circumcised and being presented to the Lord. Uh, They're a distant memory, those Christmas, that first Christmas morning, but not forgotten memory of Mary and her son. So Jesus has gone now from that humble cradle to now addressing the helpless crowds, and he's bringing to them this hope-filled message of his kingdom. Jesus at this point is now in the prime of his ministry. He is taught in the synagogue and preached in the open air. He is a prophet. He has prayed to his heavenly Father in the dead of night, interceding for his people. He's a priest interceding, and he has performed miracle after miracle, toppling the kingdom of darkness with the word Of his power, he is the king. And see, it's this prophet, priest, and king that we encounter in our passage this morning. In Luke 11, Jesus is teaching the disciples on the very topic of prayer. That's what a prophet and priest do. The disciples have seen Jesus pray, and so they ask him to teach them to pray, which he does by giving them the Lord's Prayer. That's found in verses 1 to 4. And then he ends his discussion on prayer by proclaiming that God will give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks. If you then, this is verse 13, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them, to those who pray? Well, then Luke records that Jesus was casting out a demon. And we'll see the connection here. He was cast, that's verse 14. So he, he teaches them to pray and talks about the Holy Spirit. He was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. And, and what this miracle does is illustrate Jesus' point. That's how Luke connects it, it with the teaching on prayer. It's as if he is saying, you, you have seen me praying. You have asked me to teach you everything I do, he's teaching. I do in the power of prayer. I do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, which the Father gives me when I ask. And see, that's how I cast out the demon before you. 
And, and, and so he teaches them to pray and cast out the demon. They illustrate that. And the Christ of the cradle, who is the prophet, priest, and king, the Christ who is all-powerful, who, whose very presence drives away and vanquishes Satan's minions. And, and so that Christ is now before us. And it's this display of power that causes them to marvel, as verse 14 says, which is no surprise. They marvel. He cast out a demon. But what is surprising is that others were unconvinced. Look at verses 15 and 16. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, notice something here. Everybody agrees that, that Jesus cast out the demon. They all knew that he was displaying some type of power. The question was, where was that power coming from? For the detractors, the conclusion was, he's in league with Satan. And, and for the doubtful, they just needed more proof, and so they kept on asking for another sign. And Jesus is up to the challenge, and in verses 17 to 32, he gives his response. First, what he does is demonstrate the foolishness of those who say he's in league with Satan. He, he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And he's making the point. If Satan is divided against himself, how, himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, he says, so look, if, if, if Satan is divided in himself, that would be foolish. But if, if I cast out uh, the demons by Beelzebul, you're going to have to decide. But if I cast them out by the finger of God... Um, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is, is, is here in your midst. And so Jesus is presenting them with a challenge. He corrects them. The fact of the matter was that he was casting out demons by the power of God. And because of that, and it wasn't because of Satan, then they, they needed to recognize, or at least they should have recognized, that the kingdom was before him. And so that is the summary of his response to the detractors, those uh, who believed that he was casting out by demons. There's more about that, but that's enough for now. Quickly, in verse 29 and 32, Jesus now answers the doubters. They're looking for a sign. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, there, there, there are several interpretations of this, but it seems best to conclude that the sign Jesus speaks of is the sign of the resurrection. What happened in Jonah? Jonah was in the whale for three days. They presumed him dead. And then he, you know, so to speak, came back to life again. And for the Ninevites, the sign was the reappearance of someone who was presumed dead for three days and then brought that message. And so it would be for those of the resurrection. Jesus, who died, came back again on the third day. And so if they wouldn't accept the miracle of casting out the demon as a sign that comes from God, they would, they would only have one more chance, the sign of the resurrection. Or to put it differently, the sign of Jesus himself. 
The sign is the gospel. It's Christ's death and resurrection. That is the sign. The word of the gospel is the ultimate sign. If they do not believe the gospel, if they don't believe in his death and the resurrection, then there's no hope for them. And so on the one hand, we have the detractors, those who are outright deniers that Jesus comes from God. They believe he's the spawn of Satan. And then on the other hand, we have those who are still unsure. They're the doubters. And, and see, in between those two responses, the, the detractors and the doubters, Luke shares with us the response of an unnamed, unknown woman in the crowd. And as Jesus said these things, verse 27, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now, prior to this outburst, most commentators believe that there was this quiet hush overcome the crowd. I mean, Jesus just directly confronted them. Ken Hughes says the scene was overpowering. No one was smiling, neither Jesus nor his antagonist. He cast out this demon. People are in awe. Then some are upset. Some are confused. Some want more signs. Jesus confronts them both. Everybody's silent. Nobody's saying anything. And then in the midst of this, there's this outburst that shatters the silence. And the woman proclaims her beatitude. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now, at first sight, it just seems like, well, okay, thank you for sharing that. You know, that's great. There was a woman there, and she yelled something. But it it seems unconnected to the rest of the story, but it fits the context perfectly. There was the detractor's response. There was these doubters' response. And now we have this woman who gives, the keeping with the Ds, right, a doxological response. She praises Jesus. Earlier, there were two responses of unbelief, and understand both were unbelief. One was an outright denial that Jesus was of God and that he was of Satan. Others were unsure, but there's no middle ground. They're both unbelief. And so there's this doubt. There's no neutrality. Either you're for him or against him. Jesus even says it in verse 23, whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In between those two responses of unbelief, we find in the midst of it this, this, this response of faith. And so you picture the scene. This woman remembers in the crowd. She's taking what's going on in. She sees the miracle. She heard this mute man speak. She then hears the deniers and doubters respond, and then she hears Jesus' definitive reply, and as she's gathering all the information, she comes to the correct conclusion that at least Jesus is a wonderful person, and, 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 and a man like no other, and a man worthy of being praised. Phil Riken says, as she listens to Jesus, she's overcome with admiration. She says to herself, I wish I had a son like that. His mother must be really proud. And so she praises Jesus, how? By blessing the mother who raised him. She is the first woman, the first woman is the first person actually to give voice to the proclamations and the prophecies we've been studying all this time about Mary. Remember, the angel told us she was highly favored. 
in Luke 1, 28. Elizabeth said what? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then Mary, in her song, sings, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And so this woman is the first in Scripture to fulfill Mary's words. Blessed is the womb that bore you. And see, we we should join in that chorus. Mary is to be admired. She's not to be worshipped. She's not to be exalted as sinless. But she is to be recognized as truly blessed among women. She alone was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit as we looked at. She alone was given the divine task of carrying and giving birth to the Messiah. And she fulfilled this role with poise. She fulfilled this role with grace, submitting to God and his word. She's a model Christian. That's what we've been looking at a lot of the time when we did this series. And so our generation, like her generation, like every generation, must acknowledge that much about Mary. She was Blessed. Blessed is the womb that bore you, this woman says. And like so many, though, we're in danger of just overstepping, of misunderstanding, adoring Mary in a way that attributes to her a saving power, and that's a mistake, uh, venerating her above the status that she should. Only God deserves our worship. Mary is an example to us. Her faith and obedience are to be imitated. That is true. We need to remember that. (laughs) But we must never allow it to go any further. And that's a danger. And it's a danger with this woman's response. Whole denominations may take up these words and use them to worship Mary, like the Roman Catholics. And Jesus is aware of it. And to this point, she's on the right track. Notice this. She doesn't say, praise Mary. It's because of her relationship to her son. She does acknowledge Mary to be blessed because of Jesus, but she's in danger of missing the message, of going too far. And so Jesus responds to her. He responded to the detractor. He responded to the doubter. And now he responds to this woman. And look at verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, Jesus isn't rejecting the woman. He, what he's doing is kind of he's keeping her on track. What she said was true enough, but it wasn't the whole truth. It wasn't the full truth. That Greek word there for rather in verse 28 is not pointing back to what this woman says. It's pointing forward to what Jesus says. So what Jesus is saying is, yes, you are correct. My mother is blessed, but how much more blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As blessed as it was for Mary to carry the Messiah in her womb, as blessed as it was for her to conceive the Messiah, as blessed as it was for her to nurse the Messiah at her breast, it's even more blessed, Jesus is saying, to follow Mary's example of hearing and heeding the word of God. Jesus' point is that it's not physical relationship to him that is uh, supremely important, but it's spiritual relationship to him. What was of greater importance to this woman, whoever she is, what was of greater relevance for her was her attitude toward the scriptures. And Mary would have agreed with this. 
She understood that it wasn't her person that called forth blessing. It wasn't something inherent in her, but her trust in Christ and her humble submission to the Word of God. Did you ever think of it this way? The most important relationship Mary had to Jesus wasn't a mother-son relationship. It was a sinner-savior relationship. St. Augustine said, Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Jonathan Edwards wrote, it's more blessed to have Christ in the heart than in the womb. And, and, and so I hope you see the point that's being made. It's more blessed to be a believer in Jesus than to be a relative of, of Jesus. It's more blessed to know Christ by faith than to know him as your neighbor in Galilee. One writer said, we are all naturally inclined to attach a great significance to a religion of sight a religion of sense, of touch, an eye, an ear. We love a tangible, material Christianity. We like it way better than one based on faith. And so we need this constant reminder that seeing is not always believing. Think about it. Thousands saw Christ continually while he walked on earth and yet clung to their sins. Nothing changed. Even his brothers at one time, did you know this, said uh, they did not believe in him. I guess that's not surprising. Jesus looked perfect, and, you know, brother's not going to be happy about that. But, but they didn't believe in him. John 7, 4 says that. And so knowing a, a fleshly Jesus, it, it doesn't save anyone. We need a spiritual relationship with Christ. Paul said it this way, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And see, according to our passage, we can know if Jesus has been born in us, if we're in Christ, if he's in us, by our response and attitude to the Scriptures. Jesus is saying that hearing and keeping the word is the evidence of every heart that has been converted. Now, this is the first time Jesus has made a comment. This, sorry, this isn't the first time Jesus made a comment like this in relationship to his family, his physical family. We read about it in Luke 8. His mother and his brothers, they, he's out teaching. They know, they hear the rumors, and they're trying to reach him. Is, you know, she's confused, Mary even, and, and the brothers just don't believe the things he's saying, and, and, they're, and they're trying to reach him, but they can't get through to him because of the crowd. And so somebody lets Jesus know, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Nine, that was chapter, Luke 8, 19 to 21. And so if you've been born again, if Christ has been born in you, if you have a relationship with Jesus that's spiritual, then it, it, you will hear the word and do the word. You will hear and keep the word. That's the relationship we're looking for. Hearing and keeping the word is the fruit of conversion, and it's the path to blessedness. And it's a spiritual hearing of the word, too. It's not, just like it's a spiritual relationship, it's not a physical one, brother and sister and, and, and mother and child. It's, it's a spiritual relationship, but it's also a spiritual hearing of the word. This woman had been listening to Jesus speak, as the crowds have. They were listening externally. 
But true blessing only comes when we receive the word of God internally. It's one thing to come to worship and, and receive and listen to the word. We read the word. We, we preach the word. We even sing the word like we did this morning. Our confessions are word-based. All You've heard all that. But you will never receive the blessing that Christ promises here if that's as far as you go. If all you do is just show up and leave, you must receive it spiritually. Paul tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And so, to be more blessed than Mary means we must hear the Word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us if we're believers. And see, it's the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that not only gives spiritual ears to hear, but the actual power to keep the Word. We don't do it on our own. He applies the Word of God to our hearts, working it into your soul so that you will keep His Word, hearing and keeping. That's where the blessing lies. Now, Jonathan Edwards who is a great preacher, you've probably heard the name, he explains what this means, what an inward and spiritual hearing and keeping of the word includes. I'm going to summarize it for us. He says this, a spiritual hearing implies a following of the word. Receiving it is true, and the things it reveals is real and certain. It implies a yielding of your heart and desires to it. It's more than mere assent of the understanding, but the consent of your will. Do you see what he's getting at there? You know, we're in a political year, and we're going to be making decisions, and you have feelings towards certain things, and you have desires. What he's saying is, look, if you're somebody who's spiritually listening to the Word, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter... Which way the political winds are blowing, you submit to the word, you consent to it and say, I feel a little bit different about this, but it doesn't matter. I've submitted to the word of God. And by keeping the word, it means, Edward says, a careful observation of it in practice, living our lives according to the word, observing the doctrine of the word. To be swayed and governed by its teaching above all else. Uh, to put them into practice. It, it means to never lose or cast away or forsake God's word, but to keep it to the end. Persevering in the word. That's the type of hearing and keeping of the word that Christ promises to bless. And, and the beauty of it is this. This is the beauty of this blessing. It's available to everybody here this morning who believes. Everyone. You don't need to be born into Joseph and Mary's family for that to be your blessing. You don't need to walk with him in his flesh in Galilee or wherever he walked to be blessed. You don't need to hear him physically speak or reach out and touch the hem of his garment, as some did, or see him cast out demons to obtain this blessing. The sight of Christ promises nothing. Seeing Jesus in the flesh promises nothing. Only faith in Christ receives the blessing. 
And, and, and remember what Jesus said to doubting Thomas? Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, John 20, 19. And so to be more blessed than Mary is to walk by faith, not by sight. Living out your Christian life in complete submission to his word. See, the blessing is within your reach if you will only receive it by faith. It's available to all of us. No one can be nearer or dearer to Jesus, says J.C. Ryle, than the man who simply believes. And so ask yourself, do, do you believe? Do you believe who he is? Do you, do you, do you believe something more than just a, a Christmas story of a baby in a manger? Do you, do you believe that he came to substitute himself for you, which we'll look at in a moment? But before I do, I want to I point out one more truth here. It's the blessing within the blessing. Yes, the question is, do you believe? But I said this is a blessing available to all believers. And it's a blessing for all believers for this reason. For the, an ordinary, unspectacular way that it's received. It's simply by hearing the word and obeying the word by the power of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to obey it perfectly. You can't obey it perfectly. But that same word the Bible teaches that Christ came to substitute himself for us, right? And giving us his perfect righteousness. He, he, he gives us his righteousness, his perfect life, and we wear that, and he takes on himself our sinfulness. And so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and so we can just press on knowing that if Christ's perfect obedience saves me and not my perfection, I can press on saying, Lord, help me. Spirit, help me to be obedient. And so that's the process. You don't need some spectacular religious experience outside of regeneration. You don't, you, don't, you don't need some special operation of the Spirit, what, what some call the second blessing, and then, then you're able to do this. You don't need a miracle. You, you don't need to send money to a televangelist so you can get the hundredfold blessing, whatever that is, and whatever other foolishness they're sharing this week. You simply need to hear and keep the Word of God. It's in the Scripture that the blessing is found. The Scriptures are perfect, we're told, reviving the soul. The Scriptures are sure, making wise the simple. The Scriptures are right, rejoicing the heart. The Scriptures are pure, enlightening the eyes. The Scriptures are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your ser servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward, says Psalm 19. They are perfect. They are sure. They are right. They are pure. They are true. They revive your soul. They are simple and make you wise. They rejoice your heart, enlighten your eyes, and give you righteousness. When we hear and obey the word, we're hearing and obeying Christ himself. And see, that is why we emphasize the preaching of the word here at St. Stephen. Why? Because I need the talk. No, because I want you to be blessed. Not because it's me, but because it's the word. So many churches spend so much time on such insignificant things, trying to dazzle you with their special effects. Uh, but Jesus says all that is needed 
It is simple Bible study and spirit-inspired obedience. Here, look, it's, a, it's this simple here. We, we, we come together, we open the Bible, we read the Bible, we explain the Bible, we apply the Bible, we close the Bible and pray, asking for the Spirit of God to use the Bible to transform our lives, and then we go home and we come back next week and we open the Bible, we read the Bible, we explain the Bible, we apply the Bible, we close it, we pray, and then we come back next week and do the same thing. It's not exciting. I realize that, but, but this, this I know, it won't dazzle. I mean, we don't have smoke machines. They'd look silly in the sanctuary anyway, but we don't have that. We don't have all this fancy stuff and, and all these things. What I can tell you, though, is this. It'll bring transformation of your life, spiritual transformation. It'll bring great reward. It'll be a blessing. The people God blesses are those who hear his word and keep his word, period. Well, let me, let me close. And let me say, in light of the new year, this was purposely meant to come over into the new year, um, many of you will begin, I'm sure you have, you know, you're making resolutions, we all do that in the beginning of the year, I, I do it too, at least I started, now it's three weeks in, and so they're done. <laughs> But we do this, why? Because we say, look, I, I want to turn over a new leaf. I want to do these things. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, I want to have better health. I want to exercise. I want to do this. I want to I save money, I a better job, whatever, closer relationships. All those things are biblical and good. But the problem comes when we start thinking they're going to give us this secure, lasting happiness. If I accomplish this starting January 1, by December 31st, I will, you know, I'm really going to be happy. And see, that's where we're wrong. There's only one way, one way to secure lasting happiness. And Jesus tells us, hearing and keeping his word. Hearing and keeping his word. And so as you make your New Year's resolutions, do that. I, I'm not against it. Like I said, I, I have done it, and I have, I've kept a couple. Uh, but let me suggest this one. Commit to coming under the word of God. Commit to not missing church. Join a, a Bible study. Join one of the men's studies. Join one of the women's studies. Gather with us on Wednesdays for prayer. Nathan has been teaching us about the armor of God. It, it, it's been great and how Christ fulfills it and how we're to wear it. And, and uh, So join us for that. Uh, pick up a Bible reading plan. We have them in the narthex. And, and read the Scripture daily and pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will illumine your mind every time you come under the Word of God. That's how you should enter the sanctuary. You should greet people. You should welcome people. Uh, you should you talk, do that. I want the fellowship. But then you should pray, Lord, I'm about to come under the hearing of the Word. Prepare my heart, Spirit. Spirit, prepare me. You should do that whenever you're studying the Word privately or in devotions or publicly at a Bible study or here in church. Pray that he'll give you ears to hear and, and eyes to see the truth of God that is presented in his word. And then pray, Lord, I've heard it now. Help me to obey it. And boy, do I need your help for that, Lord. And if you'll do that, it's that simple. I know there's books on a thousand different things you should do as a Christian. A lot of them are biblical, so we should. But it's this simple. 
if you'll just read the word, study the word, pray, ask you to apply the word. I can promise you this with all the authority of Christ and his word, with all the authority of heaven. If you do it and you're consistent in it, you will be more blessed than Mary. Let's pray. Father, I, I, it sounds simple, and yet we know our, our flesh is weak and that we need your spirit. Grant us your spirit that we may hear, receive, and do the word in Christ's name. Amen.